for October 5th, 2009, it's the Overthinking It Podcast, Episode 66, The Duality of Man. Welcome to the Overthinking It Podcast, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. Sitting in my sweltering apartment here in beautiful Culver City, I am your host, Matthew Rather, and I am here with the panel and a special guest to overthink all manner of things, including uh, it being the fall television season, just starting up. Uh, what television show uh, have you? did you give a chance to, give a fair shake to, and then drop like a ton of bricks? First in alphabetical order, when all is right with the world, is Peter Fenzel. Oh, it feels so good. It feels so good when the alphabet starts with F. Let me tell you that much. <laughs> Whenever Blakey comes on, it feels, it feels like there's something wrong with the world. Right. I tell you, I tell you. Right. Um, yeah. Well, actually, I haven't been watching the, the tube, but I've been watching the inner tubes. I've been getting a lot of my TV online, and I was really psyched watching the YouTube um, uploads of, like, legal YouTube uh, uploads of Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood, which is the remake of the popular manga Full Metal Alchemist, where they've, they've actually gone back and remade the show in continuity with the comic book because the original show was out of continuity with the comic book. And so I was interested in this and I was following this and I was watching it along and, and it, for some reason uh, life intervened and I'm no longer keeping track of Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. Um, I, I guess it was because I had catching up to do and perhaps you've all had that experience where when you have catching up to do and you can watch like 10 episodes of a show in like a week um, it's all enthusiasm and you're, you're really psyched. But then when you get to the point where it's crawling out only one week at a time um, especially if it's heavily serialized. I don't know if I can stay in on it. Um, plus, like, the, the little kid with the robot arm, he's only really entertaining for so long, and he gets a little bit old. There is, like, so. certain shows like that where there's a, a very high output make demands on you, right? Make, mm. make extraordinary demands on the, on the viewer. Pokemon was the same way, where it's like you had to watch <laughs> it every afternoon, right? Or else you would miss crucial details of the development of the plot. No, it was not like that at all. Pokemon was not serialized at all. None of the events, none of the events even within individual episodes had any relationship to anything that happened previously. It was like more or less like it was more or less at random what was going to happen in the next five minutes. Sorry. Uh, I, no, I know. I, you know, I, not, that I, not that I frequent such places, but uh, were I to <laughs> frequent um, a, like a television torrent download site, I imagine yeah. that one of the things you could see on that site is a complete set of Pokemon episodes available in a single torrent for download, and that it would be that uh, such a set would, would weigh in at, I think, 80 gigabytes or something. <laughs> something I mean, there, like it's that. been immense. You could probably do an art project where you took like 100 episodes of Pokemon and you split them up into like 45 second clips or even shorter and you just jumbled them at random to create half an hour episodes of television <laughs> and it would it would probably be just as watchable as pokemon was. It would be, when it i was be. watching it when i was in, a freshman in college and was really enjoying pokemon um despite you know god save me and you know, save my soul from from uh, trepidation and bulbasaur so <laughs> moving on through the tra- alphabet mr mark lee that's me um, hey, I have a New Yorker. I have a rule about television. I only can can handle one television show on my plate at a time. As we all well know, the last one that held that uh, dubious distinction was Terminator: The Sarah Connor Chronicles. Of course, right. they got canceled. Thanks yeah. a lot, Fox. Oh, right. So, what's replaced that? As I probably mentioned in the show before, is Glee. 
And that's the only show that I've started this new season. But I'm still watching it. So the answer it. is like, there. There's not. You, you've been hating on Glee, though, in the comment threads. I've been hating on it, but, you know, I saw the last episode. I'm still sticking with it. The last musical number was pretty killer. Um, I'm still a little bit unsure about it. You know what? Look, you put Queen on the screen and uh, – hey, that rhymes. You put Queen on the screen, you know <laughs> what I mean? And it's um, – yeah, no, and it's bound to be a winner, right? Yeah, pretty much. I mean they couldn't, really couldn't have gone wrong with that. Um, but, I mean, some of the comments that Belinky said earlier are starting to ring true with me. Um, just it, it's in terms of just quality of straight up quality of the show. I mean, you know, but there's a lot of things to talk about in terms of novelty and its relationship to other types of, you know, teen shows and all these other kinds of things, you know, are valid points and, you know, well to be discussed. But quality of the show and, you know, how the, the serialized narrative structure of it hold, holds up, I'm not 100 percent still sold on the quality of it and if it's going to hold hold my interest. But if they keep doing Queen songs and great classic rock songs in, um, in slightly you know, interesting, twisted, different ways, then oh, that's, that's, that's easy bait for me. Right, well, that's, that's the thing. And, I mean, we've gone over this and over this. But, like, I feel like Glee is the show I was promised, right? It's a, like, a, it's a sort of high school teen soap opera with a slightly, a slightly satiric attitude and awesome musical numbers. And I have been delivered exactly that. And so I feel like it meets expectations. Not to, not to, you know, not to borrow from the language of education or anything. Right? Like, I think that this is a show that you know uh, gets a check mark in the left hand column for meeting yeah, expectations. And I, I guess you know I'm not sure quite what my expectations are going into this. Um, you know, this I feel like maybe this being like the one show that I'm watching, uh, my expectations would be extremely high, um, given that the last show that I was watching had you know Terminators and and hot teenage Terminators in it. A hot teenage terminator. <laughs> so, you know, basically, I'm setting myself up to fail. I'm setting any show up to fail, right? When any show doesn't have a hot teenage terminator, and I'm not going to watch. Well, but, Mark, Terminator 3 was awful. You know, like, I, I really don't. I think you're overestimating the quality of Terminator that comes from the hotness of the robots. <laughs> like, that has never been the point of Terminator. And I feel that like a, you're, you are I, I becoming teenage. Skynet. I said t- teenage. Well, Arnold Schwarzenegger was not that much older than I mean, right? He was in his twenties or something, right? When he made the first Terminator movie, you know, and showed up in that in in the buff and looking looking pretty good. I mean, I don't think I'm you know I don't think I'm stretching uh, the the suspension of disbelief of our audience to say that Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> has spent some time working on his physical appearance, you know, and that those movies were awesome. So maybe. Uh, I, uh... Maybe hot Perhaps hot terminators are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, we're, we're starting. To, see, look what happens. We're starting. To, we're starting to talk about Terminator. We should be talking about TV. This is what happens when you know you get me talking about anything. Hi, <laughs> 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 Paul. About so yeah. like Lee still watching it, still giving it hope. I haven't dropped it. So in other words, that's the only show I'm watching, so I haven't dropped it yet. So okay, this is this is. I guess I'm going to take this opportunity to plug our spinoff podcast that Ryan Sheely and I are doing about. Um, Right, right. It's like a, it's a, you know, a social scientist and an actor. For whatever reason, we, we, it's like the odd couple. They agree on nothing, but one thing they agree on is that Gossip Girl is awesome, and Glee is pretty awesome too. So, uh, if you like, um, if you like considering the sociological implications of, you know, current trends in uh, teen soaps, uh, get these. Uh, it's the, it's the these effing teenagers podcast. I think is what is what we're going to what we're going to call it that there are some um uh 
there are, there are some problems with that getting that through iTunes. Hey, Fenzel, what's on your mind? I just did some research, live research, on the spot research. Arnold in Terminator, thirty seven years old. You're kidding? How crazy no is way. That? No I'm way. not kidding. Arnold was born in nineteen forty seven, and yeah, uh, and Terminator. Oh, sorry, don't forget he had a bit of a filmmaking career before Terminator. He was in several really terrible 70s movies, and he, he was, you know, he was an adult then. And he had an entire career in bodybuilding hey, that you extended know, for— you know, who, no. you know who that is? That's John Parrish. I'm going to do an alphabetical oh. anomaly because we have a surprise special guest with us tonight who, uh, who will only be known to you if you've read the show notes. So I am going to, uh, I'm going to uh, postpone the ghost ship moment of this podcast. <laughs> we'll explain what the ghost ship moment is when we get to it. I guess, yeah, I guess, I guess we have to. We have explained it before on the podcast, though our listenership has increased in recent weeks. Um, yes, uh, John Parrott, what is best in life? <laughs> what up, what up, what up? Well, that, wait, that's not the question. That's like a, <laughs> to crush your enemies. I wrote, See I wrote, meti- yes. I wrote meticulous notes, and these, these do not answer that. So, for I'm also going to have to cheat slightly like Mark did, because I haven't started watching a lot of new series of TV, because I don't watch a lot of TV in general, but one... One show that, you know, whose new season I've given up on is It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, because I, oh. I first picked seasons one, two, and I really liked it then. It was, I've described it as Seinfeld, but without the moral uplift. It's just a, <laughs> Whoa. it's just this, this continual grand guignol of immorality, people doing despicable things to each other without, without, you know, reprehension and that was that was entertaining in a sort of sick way. And then toward like middle end of season three, I think they ran out of terrible things for the characters to do, so they just started making them stupid. Like not particularly craven, just dumb and just getting into dumb scenarios. And that was much less entertaining for me. And they had occasional good bits, like the whole Nightman episode, and that was fun, and then whenever they revisited that. But then season four was just just more in the same vein and I I lost lost touch with it. So I have I have said goodbye. I have made my peace with It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Aw, that's sad. Well, I mean, the, the DVDs are still good. They, do, they don't disintegrate or go stale or anything. So you're saying you're going to go back just... and, and loop back and get to season two, but you're not going to follow it every week. Or at least you have the option of going back to see it on DVD, which you're not right. precluding now. Right, I am. I am not. I am not throwing out the old DVDs because they're no longer as because they're no longer as good because of the new bad episodes. If that makes it. you've confused me, Mark. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I'll do. I'll do. I'll do mine. I'm well known as a, a devotee of television. I watch far more television than I do uh, movies, and. Um, so I, I really I check out everything new on the networks. I mean, every new primetime show on the networks, and they're mostly crap. Uh, one that was pretty good, but that I'm giving up on anyway, I think, is Mercy, uh, which is on... It's a half-hour show, uh, sort of single-camera sitcom, no laugh track, along the lines of, of Sports Night and Now, well, the later days of Sports Night and Now, 30 Rock. Uh, but it's, it's just... It's Nurse Jackie, but not as good. You know, and and that Showtime show was so good, and uh, Edie Falco was so good in it about an ER nurse 
uh, and you know the vicissitudes of her problems. Uh, and, uh, and this, this show about an ER nurse and the vicissitudes of her problems is just not as good. Have you watched Hawthorne? The R and the N are highlighted in all the marketing materials. Uh, Did that show get canceled yet or is that still on? Cause that's another show about a nurse. I don't know if she's any, e- I think, she, I know she's a registered nurse cause of the, well, that's, well, the you know, with the ER going off the air, there's, there's a big vacuum as far as like medical drama. And like and general general hospital is off. No, is general hospital? No, they didn't cancel. No, no, no they, they canceled, canceled guiding, guiding light. Canceled general hospital. Not yeah, general yeah, hospital. Yeah. But it's on yeah. thin ice. I mean, daytime soaps. Since essentially we all watch soaps all the time now at night, daytime soaps mm. that like highly serialized uh, hour long drama, they're they're disappearing. Well, also because you know the workforce is different now than it well, used right? To be. Absolutely. Like you know, a, a, a single income household with a you know with a full time. Uh, what, like a full-time person staying at home all the time, either doing childcare or housework or just not, you know, not working. That's, that's ridiculous these days, especially in these trying economic times. And also because they resolved every plot line on days. So now there's nothing for the characters to do. Right. Yes. And every, everyone, everyone has been has come back uh, multiple times. All right. Excellent. That is the regular panel. But wait, we have an exciting special guest tonight uh, who we invited on the show. And uh, against all odds, she agreed. We are thrilled to have on the podcast Amanda Marcotte. Hello. Hey, how are you doing? You haven't, you haven't piped up yet, and thank you for maintaining the surprise, because now, <laughs> now in the big reveal, it's, uh, it's fantastic. <laughs> the ghost ship. <laughs> ghost ship moment. Oh, okay, oh, so can I, can I explain? Can I explain? Can I explain what the ghost ship please. moment is? Yeah, Just sorry, I, I, of course. I think I always, he wants to explain the ghost ship. Like moment. an asshole, I always jump in and you know talk, talk, talk. Do the one. Explain what the ghost ship moment. Okay, is. really quick, Amanda. I'll pass it back to you, Amanda, in just a second. Okay, the ghost ship moment is the moment when the people in the movie discover the thing that you know is true because you know what the movie is called. So, like, if they're walking around the ship and they hear a noise and they're like, "Oh, it must be the engines," and like, "Oh, they walk around and they see like what somebody disappears," and they're like. Like, oh, they must have gotten lost or they must have fallen. And then all of a sudden you walk out there and there's like a random swimming pool full of blood and crocodiles and a pirate who has like a, a, a parrot that has a skull on top. You're like, ghost ship, ghost ship. This must be the ghost ship. Okay. Wait, this ship has ghosts on it. Oh, right, right, right. So, so uh, yeah. I suppose it is a surprise to anyone who has not read the show notes. Right of this particular episode. If you downloaded it from iTunes and you're you're not in the habit of reading all the way to the right across the line uh, in the podcast aggregator, uh, you wouldn't know that Amanda was on the show. But well, but welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to have you. Oh, thank you for having me. And uh, what what show are you sick of? Hmm, that's a tough one. Um... Besides heroes, <laughs> <laughs> did you <Boom>. yeah. mega blast? <laughs> but that was that, that was gone last year. Um, yeah. I don't know. We we've started to watch um, Bored to Death, and we're still on the fence about it at this at our house. So um, I, I'm not sure if it's going to be funny or if it's going to run out of steam very quickly. I love the cast. I like Jonathan Ames, but. I think the premise of Jonathan Ames being played by Jason Schwartzman and pretending to be a private detective might grow a little thin if they don't start coming up with some better ideas. So I think that's probably I'm on the fence about that show. Have the have the first episodes not been very good? 
No, they have been good. It moves okay. a little slow, but it's it's you know just a little too. It's a little twee for twee. you know. Yeah, that's, that's the hipster insult for something that's too hipsterish, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Um, well, hey, so we're glad to have you on. That is that is so that is the panel for tonight. And Amanda agreed to stay for the whole show, do the question, and you have to like chant along. It probably doesn't deserve at the uh, you know at the end of the show with everyone else. And spoilers, uh, Matt. Spoilers. Jeez, you don't want to tell everybody how it ends. Oh, sorry. It's the other. It's the other podcast where we don't observe any boundaries yeah. of of spoiler alerting or good taste. But on on this one, uh, we do we do all of those, and uh, and we invite you. We are, I think, overdue for a um, for a listener feedback show. So it's time to get those emails and calls in. Uh, you can uh, use the contact form on the site, leave a comment on the show notes, email us at podcast at overthinkingit.com, or call the voicemail at twenty eat log zero one. That's two zero three two eight five six four zero one. Two zero three two eight five six four zero one, and we have we have some voicemails, and uh, we want some more before we do uh, listener feedback, which may be next week or the week after. Um, so get them in. All right, uh, and and we want to hear from you because it's your show, and you're you're like the fifth podcaster, though the sixth on this on this particular show, <laughs> which is a lot more important than being the fifth Beatle. Right. Yeah. It's like being Tony Kukoc. He's really important. <laughs> okay. Am I dating myself? Am I, does nobody else here know who Tony Kukoc is? Ah, never mind. I, I will do. say, uh, can I ask you a question, Amanda? A quick, a quick question. Sure. Do you like mint Milanos? <laughs> 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 because I have a standing offer to any member of the Wu-Tang Clan who will call into the podcast that I will get them a bag of mint Milanos. And I'm willing to make this, this gesture that you are as cool as any member of the Wu-Tang Clan. And I am just as impressed at your, and surprised at your appearance and would reward you with the same bag of mint Milanos. Uh, not a way, I'm not sure how one would ship such a thing, but this is, these are problems that can be solved by modern science. So I wanted to, if, unless you're allergic to mint or you don't like mint, in which case we can wait for ghost case, ghost face to show up but uh, uh <laughs> it's like a running podcast joke but allergy. i think she has to take them if if you know she counts as a member of the wu-tang clan sorry <laughs> what was that episode i'm sorry i'm going back now on all the pages of our podcast listings and overthinking it.com slash podcast and <laughs> No, where is Mint Milano's? Mint Milano's is episode 16. Yes, episode 16 is <laughs> Mint Milano's. That was a year ago. That was Jesus. a year ago. And, oh, yes, I'm sorry. and can you believe that no member of the Wu-Tang uh, clan has, uh, has let you on the thing? All right. Um, ODB, I understand, because he's dead. But everybody else has no excuse. And, <laughs> and introduction and scene. All right. Moving into Acts 2 uh, <laughs> of the podcast. So, okay, Amanda, you're here because you Twitter messaged us. Uh, after listening to the podcast, and uh, and I, so I invited you on just to sort of talk about what you brought up, so that we can ha- hash it out, uh, you know, just hash it out here on the show, and let the listeners also write in and talk about things as well. So, you know, go ahead and unrestricted by the 140 character limitation that Twitter <laughs> imposes on your message, say a little bit about uh, what what moved you to write us, and uh, what was on your mind when you did. 
Well, I listened to the the podcast and, and it, obviously last week's was about the Roman Polanski case. And you guys went off on a interesting, I thought, digression about um, the way that we have all this hysteria about sex in our culture and sexting. And there were a couple other examples. And while I agreed with everything that you said about that, like... I, I really think that the hysteria over sexting is especially silly. Um, I didn't really see why one would hang that on the Roman Polanski situation since he objectively committed a real crime that I think does gain. We could actually have some value in covering it heavily on the news, that you know, he, just yeah, because he's admitted to it's not even that he's just accused of it. Yeah, yeah, he he pled guilty, and I, I just feel like those are entirely different things. Raping a thirteen-year-old, sexting, the hysteria over them, like the the raping of a thirteen-year-old strikes me as something that the hysteria is in, is justified. You know, even if there are some people that are involved that are just against sex in all forms. Oh, sure. Wow. That, yeah. Uh, that's a lot. That's a pretty heavy, controversial opinion, right there. <laughs> <laughs> I knew we were have yeah, I know. God, I mean, are you sure you really want to come out as anti-rape on, and especially as anti-child rape on the? I mean, the, the this is the internet, and the flame mail might be really, might be really intense. We have literally hundreds of people who might listen. <laughs> right? Yeah, we have we have literally hundreds of people who get really high and put on our show in the background because they. Uh, no, yeah, and you know what, Amanda, I think you're right. And, and it's a, it was a, it was a, I think that, that what happened was just the, uh, that the Polanski discussion was a victim of the digression that we are, that we are so prone to because, you know, we start talking about one thing and, you know, and eventually we're talking about Terminator, whether we want to be or not. But, um, yeah, that's, I mean, what we had intended to focus on was the exploitation, the kind of cynical exploitation for profit of terrible sex crimes by a news media that then that then says it's kind of doing it doing it for your own good and while of course there is a level of attention uh, that something something like that deserves it gets blown out of proportion right because of I think the celebrity angle and because of the kind of obsessive fixation uh, on it and did not and now we've seen i mean it's been a week since that episode what do you think of the of the coverage we've seen this week too i mean they it doesn't let up does it no no i i think um i i think there was a point sometime halfway la in the week last week where i kind of thought maybe we are going to have a legitimate discussion about how we don't actually address sex crimes through our justice system the way that we should, you know, we make it horrible for the victims, you know, people come out of the closet to defend the rapist. It's just awful. But no, <laughs> by the end of the week, it was just like, what, what were we talking about again? That's like thinking that what? the finale of season one of heroes was going to be really good. Like, it's like, you really want it to be true. But like, if you sit down and you think about it, it's like, it's not lining up with what their production priorities are. You know, and the news is never going to have a conversation like that, which is really frustrating because it needs to be had. But fortunately for the news media, a, a new sort of meta conversation has emerged in the past week, namely this hundred or so signature petition uh, that's been circulated through Hollywood by people who 
uh, who apparently don't want Polanski extradited. And I think I think this is the sort of thing that that newsmakers take as a blessing because then instead of having to actually talk about the the icky legal and moral implications of rape and victimhood and things like that, they can talk about this petition, which is talking about the crime. So it gives them a sort of mask or a one remove that they can be like, oh, we can debate, you know, you know, what, what are these people signing this petition for? Is it right that they're doing this? Should we boycott their movies? Do they have a point, et cetera? So it gives them that extra distance that keeps them from having to engage the actual crime on a serious level. Yeah. It you also, know what it reminds uh, me? Of? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Um, it, it is, it's, I was just going to say, it's also created this kind of weird narrative where what's going on with all these people excusing him are just crazy, decadent Hollywood liberals. And I, I right. find that to be kind of baffling because this happens every time this sort of case goes to the news media. There are defenders. Hmm. Yeah, Notable exception, of course, being Chris Rock, um, if you, you saw on, uh, on Leno. It's really laid it out straight, um, dropping any of the other uh, the pretensions that we've seen from the other Hollywood liberal types, right? Woody Allen coming to the defense of Roman Polanski. Um, yeah, Chris Rock is right <laughs> through that and calls, pretty much calls everyone off that. But the, the, the odd thing about this one is I haven't seen many – I mean, you, you'll, you'll get people who, who defend any sort of sexual crime when it comes out like this. The, the first instance that leaps to mind is uh, the Kobe Bryant uh, case from from several years ago, and and of course you'll get all sorts of people who are saying, oh, you know, she's she's gold digging, whatever, and they'll, they'll point out supposed inconsistencies in her story and say, oh, clearly she made it up and things like that. But this is one of the first instances I've seen where people are are defending Polanski on the grounds of uh, at at the risk of at the risk of mischaracterizing this petition, uh, political asylum. The, the the argument I think it as I understand it, being that, you know, if we start extraditing artists from what are supposedly neutral countries, then it sets, you know, this terrible precedent where where artists can be, you know, extradited to fascist dictatorships for making films that, you know, criticize them and, and things along those lines. And, and just abstracting the whole case until it's about this weird battle of ideas and not about, you know, the, the rape of a 13-year-old girl. Yeah, but that's what the law does. Right. Like the law, the law as an abstract system of of signification, right, takes things out of the human situation and talks about the, the thing of ideas, uh, talks about, you know, a, uh, a you know, a, what a system of conflicting ideas and tension with one another. That's why, I mean, France not extraditing Roman Polanski has to do, I think, not with the nature of the crime or any specifics of it at all. And with the with the idea that it's a bad precedent for a sovereign power to set to. Uh, to allow its own citizens to be kind of plucked willy-nilly out of its sovereign territory, right? And that, you know, that, that's a bad precedent. That's not in the interest of, the, of any country for the country to allow that kind of thing to, um, to happen. Of course, you go, so, you know, you go into another country and suddenly you're not a citizen there and there's, you know, you can, you can be detained and... and and uh, and things like this, but this is not. I mean, we're not talking about a thought crime here. And I think that this, like, I, I think that this kind of thing that, like, well, we can't we can't start extraditing artists. I think that that's that, that, that's a red herring. I think largely. Pete, you wanted to say something before. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. I wanted to say that, um, well, I mean, I had two things. One was going to take us off this subject, so I'll save it. But um, it reminds me a lot of when Elia Kazan died, right? Um, and remember, there was a yeah, big yeah. hubbub about who at the Oscars was going to stand when they showed his picture and who wasn't. Because it's a similar inter- inter- intersection of forces. You've got... Um, well, what? when they gave him the Lifetime Achievement Oscar, yeah, and there's there's Ed there's Ed Harris and his you know and his chiseled chiseled cheekbones, right, sitting in the uh, sitting in the front row, you know, with his hands folded in his lap, like looking, yeah. you know, glaring out at everyone. Sorry, I stomped on you. What, what were you saying? Well, because well, it's like. It's like the it's the reality of politics because you know Hollywood is a relationship business. So stating your opinion for or against on this particular issue and in relation to this particular influential person is going to affect your relationships with other people, right? So people are going to be for or against Ilya Kazan in general, um, based on their own relationships with people in the business and who they want to make impressions on. Um, the news media that's looking for the story to tell uh, is not particularly interested in going over the. Uh, complexities of of what Ilya Kazan actually did and and of course now i mean I, you know i don't want to i don't get into too much detail but for those who aren't familiar the the prominent director Ilya Kazan named names during the um communist witch hunts back in the day the mccarthy era um communist witch hunts the red scare stuff so he w- he got a whole bunch of people in trouble um by ratting them out basically and was spared himself um, the the sort of uh, the government crackdown coming down on him by assisting them in in uh, going after people for their political beliefs, right? And, and because was, of and this cer- was a this was a thing that like if you were of that generation, it was huge in the entertainment industry yeah. because people lost their livelihoods, uh, you know, and yeah. all, all kinds of terrible well, things. It, and it's similar to the Roman Polanski thing because what we're trying to do, I think, a lot of people try to do in the media and 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 also just in the comment you no know, the commentariat is. Um, we try to uh, put on the same continuum the person's artistic contributions and the moral significance of their actions, right? Like that, um, that, that, that whether or not this person was a good person has something to do with whether or not his movies are good. Whether or not you like the person's movies has something to do with whether or not this person is a good person and what they've done. Um, we have to somehow reduce this whole thing into a thumbs-up or thumbs-down judgment. Now, granted, it's hard to talk about a complex figure. You know, it's hard to talk about like, you know, well, even it's hard somebody to talk like Doc Pete, it's hard to talk about anybody's life because life yeah. goes from life goes from zero to, you know, seriously effed up in short order, right? And like yeah. uh, is Roman Polanski a rapist? Yes, absolutely. Is he a Holocaust yeah. survivor? Yes, absolutely, right? Like and looking at these things as though they conferred some sort of or is he the 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 victim of a crime himself, the murder of his wife by the Manson family? Yes, absolutely, you know? And like like looking at these things as though they conferred a good or bad judgment on the soul of the man, right? Rather than like, okay, these are facts that need to be that that you know need to be addressed like separately, right? In a factual way, then uh, right, we we sort of well, is it a, we get into like very icky conversations that like, well, you know, do we excuse him? Uh, you know, terrible, terrible, you know, moral lapses because he suffered, you know, one of the worst. Uh, d- crimes of the 20th century bar none right like and we get into yeah. you know like 
things like that. And there are no answers for those kind yeah. of questions. Like, is, that, is Jerry O'Connell allowed to make Tomcats if he falls and he twists his ankle? You know, like, is he, <laughs> if we want, and, and, and can we bring that to an absurd scale? Like, do we, how do we consider sliders against, you know, and, <laughs> weighing against, like, if Jerry O'Connell, say, like, didn't pay some parking tickets? You know, and then, like, and then if you say that's the microcosm, obviously, things that are in completely different, different, completely different realms of life, when they're on the small scale, it's very easy to keep them separate, but on the large scale, when things get blown up and we're talking about things that are really, really important, we want them all to be important at the same time. But here I am doing what I said I would not do, which is monopolizing the conversation when we have a special guest. So I will step back. Although it is fitting we're having this conversation very close to Columbus Day, who is another figure who inspires very similar discussions uh, as Jerry O'Connell. Um, I mean, as what we're having. <laughs> you know, it's funny. We all, uh, the, the, well, I, I guess a number of us on the site and on the podcast all went to school together in New Haven, Connecticut. And the biggest controversy uh, on Columbus Day in New Haven, Connecticut is that the Irish don't like that the Italians are taking up so much, <laughs> so much air, so much civic air with their Columbus Day parade. And it's always a, 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 like a big civic competition between the Columbus Day and the St. Patrick Day parade. But you're talking about the, uh, you're talking about the systematic massacre of Native Americans, aren't you? Um, oh, me? No, I, was just talking about, I was just talking about sliders. I don't know what you're talking about. Are we, Amanda, do you want to jump in? Because we're extremely badly behaved. <laughs> I, 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 I'm, I'm sorry. I'm amused. <laughs> good. That's, yeah, we good. Aim, Yay. I'm good. Please, in our podcast. <laughs> I, I will say that the, the difference between the Polanski thing and the Kazan thing was it seemed that people were uh, angry at Kazan. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very good point. The people don't really seem to be angry at Roman Polanski at all. Um, yeah, that's, that's kind of unfortunate. <laughs> oh, good Christ. People it's, are ridiculous. So one of the, one of the things we, we talked about last week uh, that, that, in fact, merit, merited Amanda coming on here was the sort of odd juxtaposition of, you know, the, of, of this, this rape case with, with sexual, you know, sexual crimes and, and sexual gossip in the media as well. And the media uh, did us the favor this week of churning up more gossip about sex scandals, namely uh, David Letterman confessing, <laughs> to, uh, confessing to an affair uh, on, in a live broadcast on Thursday evening, which... I have I have to say was I think in it both did its to beat Conan in the ratings. You know, it, I'm, I'm sure he it doesn't helped. need to do that to be Conan. Yeah, it, it was <laughs> it was a really funny monologue. I thought with his confession. You know, I haven't mm-hmm. seen yeah. it. So, somewhat, Amanda, what how what did he say? Like, what were the what were the jokes? I can't imagine how you make jokes. Well, it, it's his style. He he just told it as a long kind of humorous story where he like built up the whole story about the extortion, and then he explained after every he got everybody on his side and cracked some jokes about you know being all law and order and having to to set this guy up to be picked up by the cops. Then he says, "And what is that creepy, creepy thing that I did?" And he's admitted that he had sex with a woman that works for him. Um, so by then he had the audience completely on his side and they just, they just cracked up. And then he made some jokes about how gross it must be for you in the audience to imagine David Letterman having sex. So he really kind of anticipated what you're thinking about. <laughs> Let me ask this question here about this. And the thing that is, has, um, has struck me the most about this is um, the kind of the, what's missing from the conversation maybe that I haven't been listening to it or haven't heard it yet is the general concept of workplace ethics 
with regards to relationships. Now, in my world here, in which I live in a very Mark, I'm not going to sleep with um, you, Mark. I'm not going to sleep with you, okay? Jeez. No, never mind. But, but I was going to give you more uh, articles to write on the site for an exchange. Um, no, in, in my in my world, I, li- I work for I work for a, a government bureaucracy, and there are very strict ethical rules and all these types of things. A, munici- a municipal it, government, you know, a, a municipal, which will shall remain nameless, remain nameless. Um, it is very clear cut that subordinates are not supposed to have relationships. I'm mean, sorry, uh, bosses, supervisors are not supposed to have relationships with the subordinates, period. I mean, uh, there's not a lot of gray area with this. And is this kind of all bets are off in this mystical, fun TV land here of the CBS studios where Dave Letterman works? See, I, That's work what I'm in, kind of- I work in theater where it's considered an unsuccessful production if, you know, there aren't like three pregnancies in the course of the run. <laughs> Good price. See, I, I work. I work in in the big corporations where there's like really elaborate policies that you would have to follow in order to make sure that if you were to do such a thing, it would be adequately cleared by everybody. Necessary, right. There are but forms. Still- there are forms for pregnancies yeah. in HR. <laughs> and I I work I, in marketing where sort of things are understood to happen. So sorry, man. Go ahead. I've I've seen it both ways. I've worked in offices where it was like not done, but I've I haven't worked in offices where it wasn't done. But I've seen office spaces, and it it would surprise you sometimes. I've seen like even computer programmers who have a fairly like laid back attitude about that at their office. Should it ever happen? Not that it does. But let's let's move to <laughs> You know, we get taken to task all the time. Uh, for promoting teen sex on our shows. <laughs> <laughs> you get taken in task for promoting teen sex in the well, show, it's, Matt. No, it's true. Ryan and, I, Ryan and I made an idle joke on the first Gossip Girl podcast uh, about how the teenagers who aren't having sex with one another are losers. And, right, we got, like, <laughs> <laughs> we got hate mail or, like, hate comments or something. Yes, of course you got hate mail because you said that, yes. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, I guess, I guess I should really have a better understanding of our target demo on the Gossip Girl show, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, let me bring this back to Letterman here, and I'm going to pose something here. I, I am I am <laughs> only kind of half playing devil's advocate here, okay? And I'm about to say something. It's just that I'm going to make a general statement. I'm stepping back from the hypothetical not or the specific examples we're talking about and speak more to the general, which is that as a general ethical rule, as a supervisor, if you are having a relationship with someone you work who works underneath you, um, in most instances, sing. you are taking advantage. Sorry, you are Mark. taking advantage of seeing. Indeed, <laughs> you are taking. In most instances, um, you are taking advantage of that person, and that is, uh, you know, ethically, uh, you know, not a good thing. Don't you and, think that's you know, Talk about the-, the spectrum of you know different. You know, sexy sex crimes, that's, that's a terrible thing to say. We're talking about, you know, awful <laughs> things to do to take advantage of people, you know, of other people in a sexual kind of way. You know, this is not clearly rape, but it's a, an, an example of taking advantage of people in a sexual way. Well, isn't that's Mark, my half devil's advocate. Are you overstating the case a little bit, right? Like, Probably can, yes, but I want to hear the controversy. <laughs> God damn it, Mark! You're overstating the case! No, I mean, can, can we say that there is a... That there is a sort of huge potential for coercion in situations yes. like that, and that I mean, can we are we all on the same page that like coercion is the thing that must be guarded against? I I don't know. I I'd, I'd back Mark up and say it goes it goes one step prior to even any questions of coercion to the 
to the instance of attraction in the first place. I mean, like, if, if there's a question of a, of a superior and a subordinate in some kind of relationship, you, you have the reason you have to be careful about that sort of thing is because the superior naturally has has that charisma to them by virtue of their office. So, in other words, what in a what in a relationship between equals would be decided by physical appearance, personal chemistry, similar interests and beliefs, etc. Now gets this immense batting weight placed on because one person naturally had is is sort of the unofficial alpha of whatever this pack is, be it an office yes. or a theater production or a TV show or you know what have you. So I, yeah, I think, I think even bef- yeah. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> I, I- I think in the in- entertainment industry, it's a little different, though, because the quid pro quo of those relationships is it, 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 it's something that the subordinate often wants. You know, they can often get very far in their careers by using sex to do so. And I don't know. I, it's icky to me, but everybody in, the, in that relationship gets what they want. So I can't necessarily say that somebody's being exploited when it's kind of a two-way user street. And it's also, and the whole, the whole arrangement is understood in full by everyone who's going into it. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's so much, so much understanding that these, it's disgusting to me on a personal level. I think that these older powerful men in Hollywood are willing to do this. Pictures of Bob Evans, you know, (laughs) Google Bob Evans right now, (laughs) whatever you're doing. Okay. You're in your door. Robert Evans, the producer that, and the subject of the kid stays in the picture, the, the documentary from several years ago, right? Just if you're in your car, pull over and like whip out your iPhone. (laughs) And Google image search Robert If you're flying an airplane, like, look away from the screen and pull out your Google app and go, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Yeah, absolutely, right? Can can you... Wow! Talk about spray tan. All I'm, all I, all I see is that Bert is like a restaurant. (laughs) (laughs) You you, you probably need, you probably need Robert Evans. Do I need to turn off Safe Search? Is that what I need to do? Yeah, when, whenever it's you're a- looking for stuff on Robert, Robert Evans, you need to turn off safe search images or otherwise. Yeah. Uh, or ra- or rather- if you want to hear more about Robert Evans, you can read uh, any of Joe Esterhaus's books. Yeah. Rather, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna take issue with with the last thing you said prior to the Robert Evans naked images tangent, uh, <laughs> namely, <laughs> namely the idea that if if both people go into the relationship knowing exactly what they want out of it, it's going to turn out okay, because. I remain highly skeptical of the ability of any two human beings to go into any sort of romantic relationship in Hollywood or no, knowing exactly what they want out of it. I mean, I've, yep. I've, I've never been in a position to offer someone sex for power. And, you know, just on the, the regular relationships I have, even I don't know what I want going in. So I would, I would question that even if it's a very sort of even if we think of it as a very sort of mercenary, like, oh, I'm going to sleep with the producer and, you know, he's going to get sex and I'm going to get, you know, prestige or I'm going to get advancement or attention and, you know, we're both going to walk away from it even. I would question whether that sort of understanding lasts for, I don't know, more than a couple of weeks before someone gets hurt or gets attached or what have you. Well, can you, I mean, how far... Well, a couple things. One, like, uh, okay, fair enough. But my argument wasn't that it was that it would turn out okay. My argument was that no one is getting hoodwinked. Is that? I mean, is like that it, fair? 
if you're not going to sleep with people just because it's not going to lead to a successful relationship or it's going to hurt you, then I, you know, I don't know <laughs> yeah. what to tell then, you, man. Then no, one would be having, then no one would be having sex. And my, my, yeah. my, my thing also is that, like, look, the, um, like, the, the, I agree with you about people's cluelessness, but I think people's cluelessness is in general a um, – uh, an argument for you know dating whoever you want because you're an idiot anyway and they're an idiot anyway you know and uh, right like because you know you don't know what someone's kind of internal uh, object uh, here like you know I'm gonna get all psychoanalytic and whatnot but you don't know what someone's like internal landscape is like and if they idealize certain things and if there are you know potentials for coercion or for uh, you know, all, uh, all kinds of, of bad exploitation just in the course of, you know, meeting someone at your basket weaving class and, and uh, yeah, you know, going to dinner with them, right? Like, on, at that level, you really can't, you know... Uh, if you're if you're arguing from the premise that most people are dumb, I'll accept whatever your argument is. Actually, <laughs> right. if you're arguing from the premise that everyone is dumb, I will accept your argument without a question. So, so yeah, granted, yes, conceded. I mean, nobody I, I, on that on this. I mean, if you really push these, if you really push these things to their kind of absurd conclusions, no one should be dating anyone ever. Which apparently is the position of the hate mail that I get after, you know, after <laughs> teenagers to have sex on the Gossip Girl podcast. Anyway, sorry. I'm I just saying, Chuck and, Chuck and Blair are doing it, you know, if you're cool. Two very important things. The first is that on BobEvans.com, if you give them your email address, you can win a plate of spaghetti for four people. Uh, this is sweepstakes. BobEvans.com, where it's the first time I've ever seen a, a website offering a giant plate of spaghetti in exchange for being able to spam you. Second, and I feel like that's a dangerous sexual power relationship that needs to be counteracted. <laughs> <laughs> Second of all, I feel like and the there two, you there go, Benzel. There you go again, <laughs> trivializing, right? <laughs> Look, I, there's nothing trivial about a plate of spaghetti big enough to serve four people. Uh, <laughs> um, but anyway, um, I, I have uh, I have the second thing I would say is that there are two reasons why workplace sex is dangerous. One of them is because it threatens the um, reputation of the company and the reputation of the leadership. Uh, so you don't want to necessarily do it. And, you know, that includes, like, lawsuits and things like that. But the second reason is that you don't want to set up the expectation for performance for your employees that in order to succeed at your company, what they should be looking for is ways to have sex with people. Like, I was actually having this conversation very recently with a friend of mine who was asking me, like, how do people actually sleep with other people to get ahead, right? Like, how does that even work? Like, how, how do people – are people aware of it if people are having these affairs in secret and in private? And it's like, no, people just – uh, the, the more like, like, how does it work socially? Like, how does it work that somebody okay. knows that someone else was promoted because they were sleeping with people if, like, it's not out and about that this person was having an affair? Yeah, but it's, you and, know, I don't know. I, I got to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to refer to my mommy now. My mommy is a professional, a, a professor, a professional also. She, she works in a large corporation uh, in a different industry from your large corporation, Pete, but, but still a very large yeah. co- uh, corporation. Uh, but she is originally a professor of organizational communication and organizational behavior. And uh, it is, you know, th- there are studies that have established well that, um, uh, that the rumor mill is the most effective means of disseminating information through any organization of any type. Yeah, well, right? yeah exactly. That's what I mean. It was that the rumor mill knows what's going on, and the rumor mill will figure out and set up the expectation that, you know, 
get, sleeping with people is how you get ahead, and that's just bad for making money because sleeping right. with people doesn't make money for your company, right? Like, so it's bad oh. business to like promote the idea that your employees should sleep with their bosses because then they're not going to be working to drive up your sales numbers. Depends on the kind of company. Is that what you're about to say, Amanda? <laughs> yeah, I, I, if, I, if, I, if I may dissent a little, you know, sometimes uh, they've done studies showing that giving people internet access so they have goof off time at work increases their productivity. Maybe that's true of sexual relationships at work too. You know, a little bit of nookie at lunch could improve for productivity. Yeah, you, oh, I mean, I'm very much you... in favor of workplace sex, just not sex with your boss. Although I guess uh, I mean, <laughs> they are on hand. Now you're going to start. The... You see, you see, you're going to start getting hate mail now, just like I did, because you're encouraging. <laughs> no, I'm not. I don't think anybody and is against workplace hate, sex. People They're hate deep... anything that someone somewhere is enjoying. <laughs> 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 this is true. You worked in the Catholic Church for too long, man. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you don't know this about me, listeners of the podcast, but I was employed as a Catholic campus minister for uh, <laughs> for three years after college before returning to the theater, which is a different kind, which is you know a pagan church of Dionysus, where we <laughs> where we you know worship by drinking a lot. Oh. Hold on. To be clear, Matt was not an ordained minister, no, nor no, was no, his no, job no. title minister of any sorts. He worked in campus ministry no, 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 as yeah, a if you district work in, If you work in uh, Catholic campus ministry, unless you're a priest, you know. But, but, I mean, thank God there are no sexual scandals in that realm of the, uh, <laughs> right, of the... Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, that would be really unfortunate. That would undermine the authority of the entire institution. Not only would, yeah, would... Right, not only would it undermine the authority of the entire institution, but it would surely lead to, a, you know, to a terrible cover-up of some kind, right? That, like... All right? No, I'm sure that they would fess up right away. The whole institution is based on, like, ethics and morals. They'd well, have to be true. honest. Yeah, no, it's uh, right. Uh, having a good moral compass, and it's actually yeah. institutionalized in the form of, like, guys, uh, the guys, sacrament guys, of reconciliation, I, I, that you have I, to, like, confess your sins. <laughs> Guys, I, I hate I hate to interrupt here, but in case you were worried, I have entered uh, our overthinking email address for the Bob Evans free dinner sweepstakes. So we Yay! awesome. Yay! <laughs> we should be receiving our plate of spaghetti. Amanda, spaghetti. <laughs> can we break out the spaghetti into IP packets so we can enjoy it over the podcast? <laughs> I'll 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 ask that I'll I'll, I'll submit to a, to Bob Evans uh, Bob Evans marketing department. We I actually have asked questions yeah. of of, of uh, food franchise marketing departments before and gotten responses. What what did you, I I mean now we have to ask what did you ask them? Well, I, I forgot if I've told this one on on the podcast before, but a friend and a friend and I, I got I can the, guarantee that you haven't got an argument over what the Arby's logo was. I was convinced it was a cowboy hat. And she insisted it was a fish jumping off of a plate. What? <laughs> what? No! It's an oven mitt. Everybody knows this. It's an oven mitt. <laughs> so, well, you say this, Mark. Hey, let's, right? ask, let's ask our guest what she thinks the Arby's logo is. Oh, I live next door to an Arby's for two years, so I know. Do you really? It is, Look, you yeah, did, you a, did at one point. I, I did. It's actually now a hamburger joint that they changed it. Like it, it went under and somebody else bought it, but they didn't change the logo. They just painted over it. So it is still indeed a cowboy hat, a short brimmed one. <laughs> yeah, a short brimmed uh, so yeah, yeah, very high, yeah, very high crown how, cowboy hat. 
Yeah, so in any event, I, I emailed uh, no, the, not, the customer service. the state of Michigan. Yeah, to, to ask them <laughs> what the... Uh, email, <laughs> email the customer service link on Arby's.com asking them, you know, settle a debate between a friend and I. Is your logo A, a cowboy hat, B, a fish jumping off of a plate, C, something else entirely? And sent this off, never expecting to get a response, and promptly forgot about it until, I think, literally 10 weeks later, when I get a response <laughs> back from so-and-so at marketing or dot marketing at rbs.com which just had the letter a (laughs) (laughs) so so never let it be be said that giant corporations aren't willing to reach out to and and build a profitable customer relationship So I, I mentioned oven mitt earlier. I wasn't making that up, by the way. The, the oven mitt was certainly prominently featured in Arby's commercials several years ago. And if you look at the oven mitt, yes. So, I mean, it's missing the crook in the top of the cowboy hat. So I confess, I was confused. But there was like an oven mitt related to Arby's. There's, there's a more serious issue that we need to get back to right now. What's that? Amanda, is. what is it like to live next to an Arby's? Like, did you go to Arby's a lot? Did you like no, go to Arby's less? Yeah, than I live. Than you would have to, I, I live next to an In and Out now, and let me tell you, my my waistline here is not enjoying. I did. I asked our special guest. I didn't ask you, Matt. I, I'm a vegetarian. I'm a vegetarian. It was mostly disappointing because you're like, it would be nice if there was a restaurant there that I could eat at, but there's not. There's just Don't one that salads? I. <laughs> yeah, have, like, they're all covered. They're roast beef salads. <laughs> they just slice the beef really thin. <laughs> yeah, and, and they dress it in like ranch dressing or something. They wait for the meat to turn green, and they just put it in a plastic box with tomatoes. Is that what they do? Oh, well, I'm sorry that 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 tantalizing like reminder of life choices and the road not cha- not taken. <laughs> dangling in front of you in all of its neon cowboy hat glory for all that time period. But yeah, yeah, no, I'm sorry about that. We actually, now we have to make sure that if we get the Bob Evans pasta and if we can invite Amanda to have the pasta with us, we need to make sure they hold the meat sauce because she's vegetarian. <laughs> <laughs> we, live so in like, we live in three we live in three major cities across the country amanda i don't know where you're where you're skyping out of at the moment but we're in los angeles new york and boston right and like uh <laughs> i don't think meeting at a at a bob evans is really a possibility <laughs> i i i could send you my um what do you call it um the oh uh, Yes, latitude, longitude, and make you figure it out. (laughs) I love that. I love that you know that. So how long, I mean, you know, not to be self-indulgent or anything, but when did you start listening to the show? (laughs) How did you, like, get turned on to our show? (laughs) Oh, God, I don't know. It's it's probably been a number of months now. Like, our little little podcast, because this is something that we think of we do for our amusement every week. And we're thrilled. People are listening. (laughs) Yeah, we're thrilled when anybody, like, like writes into us and uh or writes writes in from poland to collect to correct my pronunciation of polish hi emil (laughs) i do this i do this for the cash money matt i don't know about you but i do this for the the dollar dollar bill yeah are you the guy who's getting the cpm that whole arby's thing was a product placement by the way yes (laughs) and bob evans too by the way ponderosa has a delicious make your own sunday spot Albany, New York. You should really go check out. Oh, man. Here in California, we have the Big Boys franchise. And uh, let me tell you. Mm. 
<laughs> okay, have we have we exhausted this? Wow. So hey, we uh, wow we start talking about terrible sex crimes and end up on roast beef. That well, really overthink the podcast. <laughs> aren't many aren't many Arby's the site of either the the genesis or the conclusion of terrible sex crimes? I mean, really. <laughs> I don't know why anyone would accuse us of trivializing awful things that happen to people. Uh, <laughs> Such accusations are entirely baseless and uh, not not borne out. Anything? Okay, so yes, Roman Polanski. We are all of the we're all of the opinion that rape is bad, um, and uh, we didn't mean to. Uh, you know, we didn't mean to. Uh, I don't know. Fudge that point last week. So. Um, uh, oh, really? You're gonna make us do this, Amanda? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just messing with you. I'm, I'm in Austin. Google.com. Austin, hook 'em horns. <laughs> yes, yes. I, I like, now. Now that's what I live next to the stadium. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> that's where they're just drawing. They just the they dangle these cows in front of you wherever you go these like these symbols of the <laughs> consumption of our bovine friends these like ruminants that are just well, not served just, upon not the altar symbols. of human voraciousness not just symbols in the in the parking lot of the stadium i'm sure there's like crazy barbecue going on not only that yes. but the, the mascot of the uh, is bevo the longhorn yes mm. uh, one of the athletes accidentally kicked him last week <laughs> oh wait i'm really? sorry i shouldn't laugh that's terrible kicked the wait, how did he was. He ran. He ran past the the end zone and and ran into Bevo. Wow. Oh wow. Well, well presumably the cow was uninjured, right? I mean, the cow. Yeah. Is yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, like I'm, not, I'm not really. I don't feel like that's much of a problem. I feel like the guy is probably the one who's hurt more than the cow, right? Yeah. Um, it seemed like it seemed like Bevo was mostly annoyed at being woken up. Mm. <laughs> like most of the time when i pick fights with cows i don't win like i don't win fights with cows so, they're like, very strong let me let me go into some like bevo lore i don't know did you go to ut my parents went to ut which is how i know about it i used to work at ut but i didn't go there okay so you, you used to work at ut so like there's like a flag team or the like the flag corps what are they called the color the thing or the color like, guard yeah or like there are guy there or the men in cowboy hats? Yes, yeah, they're like male <laughs> The Texas Rangers. The yeah. Texas Rangers who are like the are notionally the guardians of Bevo and when one incarnation of Bevo <laughs> dies, Bevo the Longhorn, uh he when Bevo dies, he is butchered and eaten in a feast by the Rangers. I, I think Whoa. they're called the Rangers, yeah. Is that is that in fact the case? I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, it, you you know, it's Texas. You can't throw a rock without hitting a butcher shop. So it would be doable. Yeah. Uh, let's. Oh, that's a sort of Brahmin mythology, isn't it? Like you know, if if the cow dies, you know, it needs to be consumed before it can be reincarnated, and it's and you know the 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 sort of equivalent of the Lakapalas who who guard it, its sacred form, etc. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what they had in mind. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's one thing there about at the University of Texas. It's respecting Hindu tradition. <laughs> um, hey, so I want to go. Uh, I want to. I want to put this to bed and move on to the uh, to the next topic, which is Mark. <laughs> Bruce. 
<laughs> so you were at the Springsteen concert, huh? Oh my God, was I at the Springsteen concert? <laughs> you, Holy crap! No, you twittered. Uh, if you follow Mark on Twitter, he's Ghost to Twelve on Twitter. Uh, I am M Rather M W R A T H E R on Twitter. Anyone else? Amanda, pimp your Twitter. Uh, pimp your Twitter thing. Uh, it's Amanda Marcotte. I think one word. Got it. Amanda Marcotte. I think one word. No, Amanda Marcotte. Um, yeah, so you were at the uh, uh, you were at the you were at the concert. Mark, tell us about it. Oh, and you you posted some great po- photos of the stage. Like you were uh, in close proximity uh, uh, to Bruce. A great photo. I managed to score a field level seat. Not it's not seat. A field level standing spot on the field of Giant Stadium. Um, in a series of the last shows we played at Giant Stadium. Um, let me just briefly um, just give some bit of a background here. I love Springsteen. I think I've talked about my love of Springsteen on this podcast or the blog uh, in the past before. Um, this is the second time I've seen him. Um, the show was outstanding. I mean, it, it, if you've never seen, been to a Springsteen concert and you're a fan, uh, I highly recommend it. There's some crazy chatting going on here, and I'm trying to talk. About <laughs> don't look, don't look at the back channel while you're. I will not. Uh, not going to look at the back channel. I've anyway, that thing. but I wanted to get. Yeah, I wanted to get the, the I want to get the panel over thinking a couple of specific things about Springsteen. Um, the first being that um, we talk a lot about irony and earnestness on this show and on the site. And do we? we do we really? Uh, yes. Yeah. Every once in a while. Sorry. Go ahead. So I always categorize Springsteen music as as some of the most earnest music. That I know. If you think of the spectrum of ironic music versus um, versus earnest music, and you have on the end of the ironic spectrum, say, uh, what's a good example? Jonathan Colton music, perhaps something like that. Maybe it's not even a good example. Weird Al Yang. We're all doing Skypey. We can't talk over each other. We have to behave like they did in kindergarten, one at a time, please. Uh, Jonathan Colton, yeah. So I, I don't know about Jonathan Colton. I think he's he's metaphorical, but earnestly metaphorical. But okay, so okay. So anyway, on one end of the spectrum, we have very ironic musicians. On the other end of the spectrum, we have very earnest musicians, like Dashboard Confessional, very earnest. And I put Springsteen kind of on that end of the scale as well. Um, however, what you're, what, what there, I think there actually is some inherent irony in a lot of the irony in the songs that he does. And if not irony, then just kind of a dualism, right? The Born in the USA, where the lyrics are very bleak, but the, the song's pumping anthem. Um, a lot of the songs, which are his epic songs like uh, Thunder Road and Born's Run, which are, you know, these grandiose statements of power and passion, but the lyrics are bleak and it's about when my life sucks. And it's a des- desperate drive down the road to escape this. Or Glory Days, it's a, you know, it's an exuberant song, but it's about, you know, the lost glory days, which you can't recapture. Um, so you have all this kind of base, you know, dialectic. Am I using that word right? Dialectic between music and the lyrics. The irony inherent in that. And then put that in front of 50,000 people at Giant Stadium, mostly middle-aged uh, white male professionals whose lives probably have very closely mirrored that of you know the the kind of the disappointment and heartbreak of Springsteen songs, particularly this idea of uh, not fulfilling your dreams and getting to that place where you really want to go, and now putting this spectacle on where everybody's just losing it and just you know reaching this height of exuberance over these songs, which 
you know, lay out their plight in an extremely poignant way. But they're not being, this isn't about poignance. This is about celebration. Springsteen's about celebration. So that's one thing. That's kind of my main takeaway from that. That was a really long Fenzel esque rant, dare I say. <laughs> Springsteen. Um, it reminds so me of Zombieland. Did you I'm see Zombieland? <laughs> yes. I'm sorry. It was just a joke. Please talk about Zombieland. I haven't seen it. Talk <laughs> yeah, about yeah, no, no, like? I don't think any of us has seen it. So, like, yeah, we want to hear about it. I, I was just like the the sort of the, the tension between the fact that it's really funny and the characters and actors are having a really good time, but it's based in a world where everyone's been killed by zombies. So there's that ironic tension there. And it sounds like a Springsteen concert is very much like that. Wow. <laughs> uh, that's what I call overthinking right there. Springsteen. Well, I mean, <laughs> comparison between New Jersey and a land full of zombies is not, you know, it's not a superficial <laughs> one. Hey, you say that again. I'm going to eat your brains. All right. You're going to trot up in very you're from you're from uh, New Jersey, Fenzel, the land of Bruce Springsteen, Bon Jovi, and the Jonas Brothers. Yes, exactly, and and and, and blues traveler. Yes, but uh, no, and a whole bunch of other bands that played music at different times. <laughs> There's a lot of people from New Jersey. No, yeah, I am from New Jersey. I think and I, I wrote a piece about uh, and when we did our our um, interpretations of living on a prayer. I wrote my interpretation of of how I felt like the zeitgeist in New Jersey identified with Bon Jovi songs. Um, how Bon Jovi songs that sound like they're supposed to be romantic are really not about romance at all, but are in fact about war and like personal war uh, and the sort of identification of like um, you know of why we fight. Like why we confront our enemies in life, um, which is really not very romantic at all. Uh, and I think that Springsteen songs are often similar because they're about they're about mutual recognition of the struggles that we all face, and about getting charged up that the people around you are fighting the same fights that you're fighting, right? And like that's something that gets us makes it's reassuring. It makes you feel better. It connects you with other people personally. I mean, there's there's something. If Jordan was on here, we could get in a discussion about uh, one one thing that Jordan always says is that he thinks catharsis is a myth, uh, right? Like, is catharsis real? Like, is sharing the pity and fear of the baseball pitcher in glory days uh, an experience that? helps us identify with it and offers us some sort of transcendent uh, transcendence or does it not right um i mean i don't think you need to go to catharsis to find out why we would love to get psyched up about talking about the bad things that have happened to us i mean pretty much everybody who's ever led an army is starts out with being like you're five foot nothing a hundred nothing you know and then and from there all of a sudden you're storming into croatia and all sorts of terrible things are happening um uh, if that makes any sense you know what i mean like think about that that's a good question think about all the great pep talks that you've heard in sports movies or in movies that are about war where the first thing that they start talking about is how awful everybody in the army is and all the terrible things that have happened to all of them and how they're nonsense oh, they're, I, thought you you know, meant, they're- I thought you meant that there's an arc from like the basic training montage of full metal jacket to the opening shots of uh, Apocalypse Now, right? That, like, that, that from, from that, like, marine drill instructor to napalming the tree line is a, is a journey, a personal journey of discovery. <laughs> I, I mean, I think that it is, but I, I think that in real life, it's, I think in real, real life is less like Full Metal Jacket and more like Rudy. Because people don't like to think about life as, even, even when life, you know, even when the world around us, where we just clear our heads for but a moment, comes to resemble Full Metal Jacket a lot of the time, the way that we justify living in it and the way that we motivate ourselves to move forward is to think of ourselves like, you know, like riding with John Wayne in The Longest Day. You know what I mean? Um, I, I, you know. 
I disagree. I think life. I think life is far more like Full Metal Jacket than like Rudy. For large, for pretty much most of humanity, for most of the human race's time on this planet. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I'm talking. I guess maybe Mrs. Meyer's Jersey Zeitgeist coming out again. But obviously, like, it's hard to speak on behalf of people who live with you know war on a daily basis every day of their lives, um, real war that actually you know is killing the people around them. Um, but you know. I just meant this. Just meant the sense of of the the character arc. You know that if Full Metal Jacket was about Private Joker, you know the arc of disillusionment versus Rudy being about Rudy Rudiker and the arc of of uplift and triumph and and getting everything you ever wanted. I mean, you can put Rudy right next to the original Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory in that sense. Well, but also, isn't it more a matter of framing with Rudy? Because, I mean, Rudy chooses to believe that he's gotten everything that he's ever wanted, but his goals are so modest that it would be very easy to consider them to be a sort of futile existential step at, at, at modest. Modest. Right? Like, modest. Do you know how hard it is to get on the football team? Especially when you have five foot nothing and a hundred and a hundred nothing. <laughs> Yeah, no, it is pretty hard. It's definitely pretty hard. But I, I mean, I think that that's the essential question behind a lot of the of Rocky and and of Hoosiers. You know, there there is the possibility that you can interpret your life in that way. But I think people, even if they feel this despairing way most of the time in most of their lives, they crave that reframing. You know, they crave that experience of my struggle is special. And, and the, the problems that I have and the things that I face and the bad things that have happened to me, um, you know, the, I, I, there's other people who are into that and are going to push me forward and I'm going to charge forward and, and fight that battle. And I mean, maybe they have to pay, you know, whatever, $175 to get seats to the Springsteen concert before they really feel it. But now I'm being all Mark Lee esque and going on a crazy rant, so I will uh, I'll back off and 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 let you guys talk for a little bit. But, uh, but um, well, I don't know. Getting, I mean, I can, get, getting, yeah. back, getting back to Glory Days, that song specifically really stood out to me because one of the great <laughs> treats about this concert was, by the way, that he played the entire "Born in the USA" album uh, oh. start to finish. It was like the entire third, awesome. uh, the entire second hour, second of three hours of the show was the the born <laughs> was the "Born in the USA" album. Um, and, and, but glory days really stuck out to me, especially though. Um, cause you can just imagine, right. How many office drones, New Jersey office drones who have comfortable upper middle class, uh, lives, right. Who really thought that that wasn't going to be them comfortable, boring middle class, upper middle class lives really thought that wasn't going to be them. The office drone, you know, leaving, you know, leaving an unfulfilled life. They really thought it wasn't going to be them. And then they were listening to Springsteen. And then they were in college and in high school thinking about, you know, glory days and appreciating the irony of glory days and thinking that that wasn't going to be, you know, them, you know, dreaming back 20 years from now about that at a Springsteen concert of all places. Yeah. Right. And then here they are. That's what I that's what I thought about there. And frankly, that's what I was kind of afraid of for myself, too. Let, Am let I me becoming ask that our guy? special guest. Amanda, do you like Bruce Springsteen? <laughs> um. Some of the early stuff, yeah, I particularly like Thunder Road. That's that's a good song. Mm-hmm. I, I, I have you heard the Bonnie uh, Bonnie Prince Billy tortoise cover of it? It's actually kind of crazy and haunting, and really draws out what a cool song it kind of is at it. You know, at its baseline. Mm-hmm. Bonnie no, I'm not Prince, that cool, unfortunately. <laughs> 
Springsteen is actually getting a minor revival and kind of like the the like indie rock world a little bit. The, the, he's kind of like the Nebraska album made everybody decide that he was actually kind of cool and not lame. And so now his stuff is getting covered left and right. It's kind of bizarre. <laughs> oh man so yeah I, mean, I guess matt that sounds familiar to uh those of us who've studied poetry and the places where we studied because we were we were always we were raised on these like contemporarily intellectually unpopular poets who were very popular you know in past years past epochs of education well it's fine i mean so. right like th- this is the thing and like a lot of people don't get into this in their college education but like fenzel and i are both a product of the yale english department which is unique even among english departments in its commitment to the unfashionable yeah, <laughs> and just to, to, to retaining the douchebaggery of generations past. Right, exactly. I mean, the, there, are, yeah. there are honest-to-God unreconstructed new critics in the Yale English department yeah. who have not, like... Who have not changed their tune since you know I A Richards was writing with uh, you know I don't know uh, and William Empson was publishing Seven Types of Ambiguity or something like that right like yeah 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 there are yeah hold, hold on wait, wait. You, you say that as if we're supposed to know what all that's supposed to mean Do, uh, you know what? for those of us who didn't graduate from the Yale English Department there is at least those, three people who, on this podcast who didn't or those of us who didn't even go to Yale which I believe. I believe this is the first podcast in which there have been two people who did not go to Yale on the podcast. <laughs> together. Yeah, and who were not yeah, who were not like fast friends when we were in college. Oh, together. we had we had those guest po- the guest podcasters when we had our auditions that we had we had Lindsay and we had um uh Gab's mom called us at some point. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but I wasn't yeah. I wasn't on those podcasts, so oh, there's always been right. Yeah, that's true. So, John, if, if, if just I just said right that now, I went to Yale, would you be disappointed? Did you? <laughs> I'm kidding. I didn't go to Yale. No, because <laughs> yeah. well, we would start talking about all sorts of local color crap. No, but the, the, basically, here's the here's the main thing. Let me boil it down for people who don't know. So my or Sally's. <laughs> here's my opinion of it. Okay, so and and at Yale, we have we they split the study of books. Primarily in English, but in other languages, also into separate departments based on different disciplines, right? And different but that's approaches. Not, I mean, that's not unusual in. No, it's not unusual. But but the the, the, the sort of you to take away a lot of the jargon. Um, you have certain people who have become very unfashionable because their work does not broach the subjects or does not does not dominated by or informed by the subjects and uh, uh that are particularly fashionable in academia at a given time right so like say you have somebody so like a great example my favorite example of this is longfellow right like longfellow writes the right. song of hiawatha in any sort of mature discussion of multiculturalism you can't really seriously consider the song of hiawatha Right. I mean, it's like it's got a lot of really big problems in terms of like, well, for one, you could ask like an actual Native American what they think rather than asking a random white guy, which at the time perhaps wasn't an option if you were in a, in a university uh, because there would be no Native Americans there. But like you're not going to go to the Song of Hiawatha for insight into the relationships um, in, in this sort of multicultural criticism. But it still was, you know, one of the one of the most major poems of its day. Tremendously popular. Only one translated into French by Baudelaire. Like very important piece of work uh, in influencing a lot of people. So when we're talking about one subject, that particular poem is going to drop off into the background. It's going to be very unpopular. Academics are going to scorn it. They're going to say that it's stupid, right? And that's what people who are cool, cooler than me, would say about Springsteen for a long time, right? Is like because he's not addressing the kind of complexities that we're discussing the subject matter we're discussing, the form that's interesting and compelling right now, um, 
because he's too earnest. I once heard somebody in, in Damn Springsteen by saying that he sang about characters and not about people, which I feel like really summed up a lot of the criticism that I've heard about him. Um, and I felt like it really hit the nail on the head with terms of like why people don't like him that much because he doesn't talk about um, – he narrativizes people to the point where they're easily swallowed um, and understood, um, which of course a lot of comparable songwriters would want to do. Um, Anyway, anyway, what I'm saying is that this is how things fall in and out of fashion, and it's always funny when something that people have been against because of fashion for so long starts coming back into the mainstream because it sort of makes us all chuckle about you know how passing and fleeting all of this is and carpe diem, gather your rosebuds while you may. Um, glory days. The graves are a private this. place. Yeah, there's a reason that Mark made fun of me for going on these rants. It's because I go on these rants. And if Ghostface Killer is going to come and get his Vin Milano's, you better hurry because there's only so much to go around. To be clear, Frenzel, I love the rants, by the way. Okay, okay. When I listen to the podcast back um, the morning after we record it, I'm like, all right, going to get some mm. solid overthinking. Here comes Frenzel. All right, listeners, do we trivialize sex crimes? Uh, <laughs> have, we, have we trivialized them tonight in our discussion of trivializing them by segueing into David Letterman, uh, Robert Evans, Bob Evans, the restaurant chain, <laughs> and then the Arby's logo? Uh, have we, uh, in our references... There is a Cracker Barrel. We need to go to the Cracker Barrel right now in the ground round. Anyway, <laughs> I think that, I mean, I've, I've pushed that for us doing live events, live overthinking at events, and I think that we should only do them at, like, a Bob Evans restaurant. <laughs> you know, we should just storm in and occupy yeah, the thing. that wouldn't be ironic at all. Denny's, not, not yeah, Denny's would be too hipsterish, right? Uh, has our discussion of Full Metal Jacket uh, convinced you of anything about the duality of man? Has Mark's, uh, Mark's discussion of Bruce Springsteen convinced you of anything about the duality of Bruce? Uh, you know? <laughs> Has Fenzel's discussion of Henry Wadsworth Longfellow convinced you about anything of our education? We want to know. Write us at podcast.overthinkingit.com, leave a comment on the show notes, or use the contact form on the blog, or call the voicemail, which is 20-EAT-LOG-01. You know who ate log? Hiawatha. And as always, visit, <laughs> <laughs> visit us on the web at www.overthinkingit.com, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny... It probably by the shores of Gitchy Gumi. Daughter of the Bruce. Moon. Are you saying something by the Bruce? <laughs> Dark behind it rose the forest. Rose the black and gloomy pine trees. I deal with this every week, Amanda. We deal with this. <laughs> <laughs> rose the firs with cones upon them. <laughs> there the wrinkled old Nokomis nursed the little Hiawatha. Rocked him in his linden cradle. Bedded soft in moss and rushes. Skill to sorry, I, not even I can continue. Please, please tell me you're making that up. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm, I'm, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm quoting from memory the beginning of the song of Hiawatha by Henry Wordsworth Longfellow. <laughs> I didn't even Google it or anything. I just happened to know it. That's the kind of nerd that I Damn. am. Damn. <laughs> Damn.